0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 6, if you would. I'm always delighted to be in the presence of hardcore Christians, the wimpy Christians they stayed at home today, deterred by rain. And so you're here today, Isaiah chapter 6, if you would. Um, I want you to find Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to find verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God's word this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his Hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, "Here." Am I? Send me. You pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your fully, totally inspired word. Lord, I pray today that you will allow us through your Holy Spirit to recapture the vision of God who is holy. Father, I thank you for the ministry of this church. I pray that you will continue to enlarge their territory for your honor and for your glory. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said that you may be seated. In one of the classes that I teach at New Orleans Seminary, we ask our students to interview people that have been out of church for at least the past 10 years. So they're totally unchurched individuals. And the students I to ask this question. How do you view God? What is your vision of God? Well, typically people respond and they say, well, God is a man upstairs. He has long hair, wide beard. He is love, he is kind, he is good. Some people even say, how dare are you to ask this question? Religion should be a private matter. Now, we have been doing it for the past 10 years, and in the past 10 years, not a single person that has been outside of church has voiced their idea of God as holy. I believe the, vision, the notion of God as holy has totally disappeared from the American culture. And is virtually non-existent in the evangelical world. David Wells, in his outstanding book entitled No Place for Truth, made this incredible observation. Listen, the loss of the traditional vision of God as holy is now manifested everywhere in the evangelical world. It is the key to understanding why sin and grace have become such empty terms. What depth or meaning can these terms have except in relation to the holiness of God? Divorce from the holiness of God, sin is self defeating behavior or a breach in etiquette. Divorce from the holiness of God, grace is empty rhetoric pious window dressing for the modern technique by which sinners work out their salvation. Divorced from the holiness of God, our gospel becomes indistinguishable from any of a host of alternative self-help doctrines. Divorced from the holiness of God, our public morality is reduced to little more than accumulation of trade-offs between competing private interests. Now, listen to this. Divorced from the holiness of God, our worship becomes simple entertainment. The holiness of God is the very cornerstone of the Christian faith, for it is the foundation of reality. Sin is defiance of God's holiness. The cross is outworking in victory of God's holiness and faith is recognition of God's holiness. Knowing that God is holy is therefore the key to knowing life as it truly is, knowing Christ as he truly is, knowing why he came and knowing how life will end. It is this God, majestic and holy in his being. This God whose love knows no bounds because His Holiness knows no limits, who has disappeared from the modern evangelical world. He has been praised in many quarters by God, who is slick and slack, whose moral purposes turn out to be fatherly advice that we can disregard or negotiate as we see fit. Whose word is a plaything for those who wish merely to listen to themselves, whose church is a mole in which the religious, their pockets filled with the coin of need, do their business. I've come to a conclusion in the past couple of years, that the greatest need. In the, in the evangelical world. The greatest need in the Southern Baptist Convention. The greatest need in the churches including yours. The greatest need in my life. Is for us to recapture the vision of God who is holy. How do we do it? I believe a great place for us to start is for us to understand what do we mean when we say God is holy. What do we say God, what do we mean when we say God is holy? Well, I believe when we say God is holy, we certainly mean that God is sovereign. That he is sovereign. Look at verse 1. The scripture says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, what year is that? It is the year 739 B.C., King Uzziah was one of the greatest uh, kings of Judah. He was Ronald Reagan of his days. (laughs) He uh, uh, fortified the city of Jerusalem. He invested heavily in the infrastructure of the economy to a point where the commerce was booming, the economy was flourishing. And this king dies. And the year that this king dies... Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord that had never been seen before and never to be replicated. And in this vision, the scripture says that he sees the Lord. Now, notice the word Lord is lowercase letters. It is the word Adonai that literally means sovereign. That is a title of God. So this sovereign God the scripture said, is seated on the throne. Every, every nuance that is mentioned in verse 1 highlights the sovereignty of God. He is sitting on the throne. He is the ruler. He is in charge. He is high and lifted up. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The fringe of his robe filled the temple. That means that neither... Space nor time could contain this Adonai. He transcends it all. We have a picture of the sovereign God of this universe who is in charge. In total control of this universe. As Adrian Rogers used to say that the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity never meets in the emergency session. God is in charge. He is sovereign God. Now, once you understand the holy God is the sovereign God, you know what He's going to do to your life? You're going to learn to trust God no matter what. You're going to learn to trust God no matter what. About four years ago, my youngest brother who was at that time 32 years of age, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is very deadly cancer of your blood. He began to receive uh, radiation therapy and uh, chemotherapy, And his condition began to improve. And by by the way, he was 32 at that time. He just got married. In fact, I even have a picture of him. He just got married. Um, His business was booming. Everything was just going so well when he was diagnosed with that cancer. So his situation began to improve until August of four years ago. And in August, he was rushed into... Uh, ICU of the hospital in Florida, in Pensacola, Florida. In September, he turned 33. And in October, he went home to be with the Lord. 33 years of age. Now, I still, even to this day, I have many questions. I love what C.S. Lewis once said, In heaven we will not be... Asking why, but saying, of course. But until that day, while we're in heaven, we have questions. We have questions, but I have learned, in spite of those questions, that if I really believe that God is sovereign, that he is in charge, that he is that Adonai described in Isaiah chapter 6, that I have, to trust him, no matter what, I really do not know what you 're going right now in your life what's going on in your life you must have lost you, might, you may have lost a loved one if you recapture the vision of God as holy who is sovereign, you will trust him no matter what. maybe you're experiencing financial difficulties if God is sovereign, he is in charge and you Will trust him no matter what. Maybe you are experiencing. Maybe you experiencing this natural devastation. You've have some friends that lost their homes in Baton Rouge. I, I, in addition to teaching at New Orleans Seminary, I'm a pastor of a church in Covington. And on the way here yesterday, I called two families who lost their home for the second time this year. They were flooded in March, lost it all, spent their savings to rebuild, and it was flooded again. So I called them on the way here, and I prayed with them, believing that God is still sovereign. And if he is sovereign, I must be willing to trust him no matter what. What do we mean when we say God is holy? We certainly mean that he is sovereign, but also we mean that he is sinless, that he is sinless. Notice the the seraphim, that's plural, the burning one, says they're praising God. They're praising God in verse 3 by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the word holy is the word in Hebrew kodesh. Say with me, kodesh. All right, if we are pronouncing it wrong, I will blame your former pastor, Dr. Barjan, because he taught me Hebrew, so. But many years ago. But kodesh literally means... Distinct, separate, a cut above. See, our God is distinct and separate from the created world order. He is distinct and separate from the angelic world described in this passage. He is different and distinct from the world of humanity as represented by Isaiah. He is so different from creation, angelic world, and humanity in in such a way that the only way that we could describe God is to describe him as holy. I find it fascinating that seven out of every 12 reference to the name of God in the Old Testament refer to God as holy. God's name is qualified by the adjective holy more than all of the adjectives put together. In the entire Bible, God's attribute as holy is the most frequently mentioned fact about God. I have come to a conclusion that holiness is not something that God has. Not something that God does. It is who God is. That it it is the very essence of God. And that is why I believe that The angels of God are praising God and using holy, holy, holy three times. In Hebrew poetry, when something was mentioned three times, it was to elevate to the greatest uh, degree of importance. Nowhere in the scripture you will find the angels of God praising God and saying, love, love, love. (laughs) And God is love, though. Nowhere in the scripture... ...you will find the angels of God... ...praising God and saying... ...God is all-knowing, all-knowing... ...all-knowing and though He is. Nowhere in the scripture you will find... ...the angels of God praising God... ...and saying that God is all-powerful... ...all-powerful, all-powerful... ...even though He is. But you find... In this passage of scripture, the angels of God praising God by saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, our God is different and distinct from us in many ways. But the most fundamental way in which God is distinct and different from us is that he is not able to sin. He is sinless. Listen. There's not even an ounce of sin in God. There's neither ability nor proclivity in God to sin. He is absolutely sinless. Now, when something sinful comes into the presence of the sinful God, sin must be dealt with. Notice what Isaiah does as he understood the sinless nature of God, he says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He gets it. And then the scripture says one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live call which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Now ladies and gentlemen listen to me very carefully. What a live call did to Isaiah. So the blood of Jesus Christ the sacrifice of Jesus Christ does. For us see because of Jesus because of his sinless life, because of his substitutionary death, because of his victorious resurrection and eventual return we can be forgiven and set free see only because of Jesus and what he has done for us we could enter into the presence of of the sinless God, if we really understand that God is holy, God, the holy God who is sinless, do you know what it's going to do? what it's going to do in our lives? If you are a seeker, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, and you understand that God is sinless, that this holy God is sinless your reaction would be to immediately embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, because that is the only way that you could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, and you realize that God is sinless, it would lead you to examine your life immediately to see if there's anything there in your life that is not pleasing to God and it would lead you to deal with your sin. The Jewish Masoretic scribes who would copy the Old Testament from scroll to scroll, when they would come to that word Lord, notice where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The word Lord is uppercase letters. It's a different word uh, from the word Lord, Adonai in verse 1. In Hebrew Hebrew, it's the word it's four consonants, four consonants. In theology, it's called tetragrammaton. It is the most forbidden name of God. It is the name of God and just four consonants, and we pronounce it as Yahweh. And when Masoretic scribes would come to that name of God, they would typically stop and immediately they would seize what they were doing and go and go and take a bath. They would take their robes, discard them, take a bath. Then when they were completely clean, they would come, put a brand new robe on themselves. Then they would get the brand new writing utensil. And only then they would write Yahweh. Then they would continue copying the Old Testament until they come to the word Yahweh again, Lord, in our Bible's uppercase letters. And then they would come to that, they would stop again, cease what they were doing, will um, discard their robes, go take a bath, then put a brand new set of clothing, then get a new writing utensil, and only then they would write Yahweh. Now, why did they do that? Because they understood when they entered into the presence of the sinless God, they had to deal with their sin. And the only way to deal with our sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody said that the greatest deterrent to sin is continual reflection On the holiness of God. What do we mean when we say God is holy? First of all, we mean that God is sovereign. Then when we say God is holy, we mean that he is sinless. But also when we say God is holy, we mean that he is served. He is served. We notice in verse 2 how the angelic world responds to this holy God. They Uh, The seraphim, the burning burning ones, uh, they're praising God, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, out of reverence to God, understanding God is sovereign, with two he covered his feet, recognizing that God is sinless. And notice what happens next, and with two he flew. The angelic world understands that if we believe that God is holy, that the only response that we have is to serve God. Isaiah gets it too, because when God says in verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send someone else, right? No, send me. We believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God is sinless. And the only response that we could have is for us to say, God, I'm willing to serve you. See, we live in a culture where people view God as someone who will serve them. You see, God does not exist for us. We exist for God. We have been created for him, for his honor and for his glory. We exist to serve him. Every morning I begin my day with four prayers. I have my quiet time sometime during the day, but the first thing that I do when I open my eyes in the first couple of minutes, I voice four prayers before the Lord. The first prayer, I say, God, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you that in your sovereignty you reached into my life and you brought me to yourself. Thank you that I have this eternal salvation. And I am in your hand. Thank you for saving my soul. Second prayer that I pray, I say, God, would you... Cleanse me and forgive me for any unknown or known sins in my life. Because you're a holy God, you're a sinless God. I want to start my day afresh and anew. Would you cleanse me? The third prayer that I pray, I say, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? I cannot live my life without your Holy Spirit. I cannot live my life pleasing to you unless you fill me totally. With your Holy Spirit, fill me today. And then the fourth thing that I do, I do a Roman salute. I'm going to teach you this Roman salute this morning. Now, you say, what is a Roman salute? When a Roman soldier would meet a Roman superior officer, they, they would exchange a Roman salute. And so, what is a Roman salute? Is a, a soldier, a Roman soldier, would take his hand and he would put his fist to his heart. Put, put your right hand to your heart right here this is what the roman soldier will do and you've seen it in the movies maybe and then he would open his hand like this so put it to your heart and then open it like this now what is the roman salute uh what does it mean when a roman soldier would do it what they were saying they were saying that my heart belongs to the roman empire my heart belongs to the roman empire and then when he would stretch his hand like this, he was saying, now I'm reporting for duty. Wherever Rome calls me, I'm willing to serve. By the way, Jim Henry taught me that Roman salute a couple of years ago. And so what I do every morning, I say, God, my heart belongs to you. God, you are the sovereign God, you're a sinless God, you're a holy God. My heart belongs to you. And this morning, God, I am reporting for duty. I'm willing to serve you. Now, there are many ways how we could serve God. There are many ways how you can serve God. But I believe one of the greatest ways how you could serve God is when you will begin to use your life as a platform to point people to Jesus Christ. Uh, Some time ago, I was with Johnny Hunt, uh, pastor of Woodstock Baptist Church, one of our leading churches, and we were teaching a class together, and uh, I was, as we were teaching a class together, Johnny told a story about a dentist in his church who came to him one day and said, Pastor Johnny, um, I um, serve in various capacities at your church, I take up an offering, I serve on different committees, I'm involved. But I feel I need to ramp it up a little more. I need to serve God more. What do I do? Johnny looked at him and said, "Jerry, you asked me this question. And I'll tell you. You have been my dentist. I've been to your dentist office. And when you go to your dent, uh, dentist, uh, when you go to your office." You know, you have Sports Illustrated magazines. You got all kinds of things. But I haven't seen open windows. I haven't seen any Bibles there. I think I would start there. (laughs) If you really want to serve God, use your office, use your occupation as a platform in pointing people to Jesus Christ. I would start there. Three months passed by. Jerry saw Johnny, uh, Pastor Johnny, and he said, Pastor Johnny, I, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. um, he said, okay. He said, I want you to come back to my office and just register as a new patient. And he said, well, I mean, I already had my cleaning. I don't, I don't relish the idea of going back to the dentist. Uh, but he but said, please do. I mean, I, I want you just to do it for me. He said, okay. So he goes to this office, and he enters the office. Now he sees... Uh, copies of open windows um, there. He sees uh, New Testaments. He had all kinds of spiritual literature out there in the waiting room. Then uh, he gets this uh, registration form. He fills it out, 10 questions. Then he comes to the 11th question, and it says, you know, asks for in- insurance information name. You know, you've been to a dental dentist office. Comes to question number 11, and it says... If you were to die today and you were to stand before God, do you know where you would go, heaven or hell? or oh, you don't know. And then the last question, if you, have, if you do not have absolute certainty that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you're going to go to heaven, would you like to meet with the dentist after your dental appointment to talk about your eternal destiny? His dentist got it. Using your office, your occupation, using all of your life as a platform to point people to Jesus Christ. We really believe that God is holy we really believe that he is holy, we will serve him. Now, this morning, I don't have to meet with you after the service. We want to give you this opportunity to settle this issue of your eternal destiny right now. The same question that this dentist now is asking of every, uh, every patient, we want to ask of you, do you know if you were to die where you would go? you have absolute assurance in your heart that if you were to die today, that you would be in the presence of God. If you don't have that absolute assurance, we plead with you, do not leave this place without settling this issue. And you say, well, pastor, how do I settle this issue? Well, the scripture is very... Uh, Plain and clear about this. If you want to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to have peace that surpasses all understanding, you need to repent of your sin. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Repentance is turning away from your sin and turning to God for forgiveness. But repentance is not enough. We must be willing to receive Jesus Christ by faith in our hearts. See, a lot of people today know about Jesus in their heads, but they do not have Jesus in their hearts. And do you know the distance between your head and your heart is only 18 inches? And so if you know Jesus here and not here, you're missing out on Jesus now by 18 inches. And then when you die, you will miss heaven by 18 inches so you need to repent of your sin you need to receive jesus christ by faith and then you need to resolve to serve christ for the rest of your life because he needs to become your savior and lord you say well pastor how do i do it well the scripture says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord will be saved i want to give you this opportunity this morning to call upon the name of the lord in fact i'm going to ask you to stand with me and if you stand with me in just a few moments, our, our pianist will play. And with you, your head bowed and eyes closed right now, if you want to call upon the name of the Lord, why don't you call upon him right now? You might say, well, how do I call upon him? Why don't you say something like this in your heart? God knows your heart. And in, quietness of, in the quietness of the moment, why don't you call upon him? Why don't you say something like this in your heart? It has to come from your heart. Would you say, dear God, I know that I have sinned. God, I ask you to forgive me. God, I turn away from my sin. I turn to you for forgiveness. God, I believe that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you save me today? God, I want to serve you. I want to live for you for the rest of my life. Now, listen to me very carefully. If you pray that prayer and you really meant it, if you really meant it, I'm going to ask you just to step out from where you are. And would you make your way to the front? Brother Dale will meet you. You're here at the front. He'll pray with you. He will encourage you. We'll give you some more information how you could grow in your faith. I don't want you to come if you didn't mean it. But if you meant it and you prayed it, prayed that you are calling upon the name of the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to step out and make your way to the front. Brother Dale will be waiting for you right here. Maybe you're here today. You already have called upon the name of the Lord and your membership is somewhere else. And you have been baptized by a merchant, But God is leading you to become part of this church family today. You make your way. We're going to wait on you right now. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Here's what my, here's God's invitation for you today in response to this message. If you're willing today to say, God, my heart belongs to you. And I'm reporting for duty. Because you God, because God, you are holy God, you're sovereign, sinless God, I want to serve you. I am reporting for duty. Whatever you are willing for me to do, I am willing to be available. As a believer, if you're willing to, to do this, to state that your heart belongs to God and you are reporting for duty. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you kneel where you are? Or would you come to the front and kneel and say, God, here I am. You're the sovereign God, you're a sinless God, and I want to serve you. I, my heart belongs to you, and I'm reporting for duty. I will be the first one to kneel because that is my prayer today. So says, we'll remain standing with our head bowed and eyes closed. Our pianist continues to play. If you prayed with me, calling upon the name of the Lord... You come, Pastor Dale is waiting on you. You need to become part of this church family, you come. You're a believer and you just need to kneel before the Lord and say, God, my heart belongs to you and I'm reporting for duty. You kneel where you are, you come to the front. Let it be a response of your heart to the message and the word of God today. I wonder how many of you today will do business with God. You come right now.